Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing <laughs> discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got you can get it ground you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own they've got all of the options uh, and then you use the code peak coffee in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh you'll get a sneaky 10 percent off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time i don't remember exactly what it is but i think they express post everything so hopefully quickly perfect amazing well, and that's it. Without further ado, here's the episode. Yeah. Presented Enjoy. by Thomas Lilly and John Sarah and Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Well, I've already been recording for 15 seconds, so oh. uh, I'm just 15 seconds better than you. Samuel Williams, my sincerest apologies for this oaf that we have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, oaf is a pretty insulting word. I don't like it. Is it? Why is it insulting? I don't know. It reminds me of like Shrek, but less intelligent than Shrek. Shrek was pretty cool. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think I'd find being called Shrek offensive. I mean, I've certainly been called a lot worse in my life. <laughs> um, and sometimes by my friends. So, uh, you know, yeah, I can take it. <laughs> I want to start this, uh, start this chat by just reaching out to... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening, um, <laughs> I just want to say that uh, I don't particularly mm. like the new Facebook. Like, I know I'm only one guy, but if you're listening, just do us a solid and change it back. <laughs> do you like the new Facebook? It sucks. I don't know if I've got the new Facebook. I don't pay enough attention to notice the difference. Like the phone app? I don't think so. No, on, on like desktop. Oh, okay. All my online coaching is through Facebook, and I've been looking for a way to get out of Facebook for the platform of online coaching, and now I've found it. So, like, this has been my prompt. As of this week, I've started switching all my clients to a new system because. Well, what system are you using out of curiosity? Um, I'm using a system called Click. Okay. It's just similar to Slack, it's just a, you know, a replacement for emails and Messenger. Oh, okay. So it's not like a uh, dedicated coaching platform no they're all too limited 
Yeah, so I use TrueCoach at the moment, and I really like it for a lot of things, uh, and I hate it for other things. So I actually mm. am increasingly using a combination of it and a spreadsheet to track, because just because spreadsheets track volume and intensities and stuff like that in a way more capable way. Mm-hmm. TrueCoach is great because you can like build in an exercise library. You can write heaps of free text about cues and you know have descriptions for each exercise and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes it super useful, um, but yeah, it's certainly limited. Yeah, yeah, and like any of those um, coaching applications, I think are great if you're less uh, less in depth with your coaching. Like if if you're delivering online programming, online coaching that's very general, I think it's going to really tick the boxes. When, <clears throat> yeah. when you're doing something a little bit more um, high intensity, as in like. Uh, uh, requires a little bit more thought, a little bit more detail, yeah. um, a little bit more tracking. Uh, it might miss the mark a little bit. Yeah, and look, for some of my clients, they don't need the in-depth vo- uh, volume tracking and stuff to quite the same extent that some of the more mm. serious lifters and stuff like that do. Uh, the thing I really like about it is it puts it like I imagine this click thing is doing for you. It, it puts all of my coaching stuff in one spot it has a messenger app built into it but it also allows people to upload videos straight into it and they link to the day so you give them their program and they can link it to the exercise and then it just makes that process for me way smoother Um, and i also do a lot of feedback at the moment uh, rather than as text i do it as like a screen recording of the video with my face in the corner like you would for a zoom call basically um and give feedback that way and then i basically just upload the video straight to their account on the right day and they have it there ready to go so it's just it streams streamlines for me a few of those things but it um it's definitely limited in in some Mm. other areas and like you said they all kind of are like they're ultimately um yeah it's going to be a little bit different depending on what you want out of it Mm. yeah yes 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 not everything is as as high quality as say prison coffee but um, (laughs) these get smoother every week i just i genuinely don't i feel like you must spend a whole week practicing your smooth segues into delicious coffee but uh i'm impressed continue to be impressed i I don't actually practice i'm just so well caffeinated my (laughs) firing on all cylinders thanks to my prison coffee use code peakspeak for 10 percent off I took a bag of their whoosh whoosh single origin that. stuff into the bush bush. bush. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. I chose to take that one exclusively so I could post <laughs> that photo with that funny, uh, that funny caption. Cause I looked at it and I went, Oh, that'll be funny. And so then I waited two days to, to like actually do it, but, uh, it was delicious. I got a little like hand grinder. Yes. Uh, so now I can make coffee in I the bush your, bush. Uh, cast iron kettle in action. Yeah, man, that thing. And uh, I've got like a Chemex pour over that I do like a long sort of filtered black coffee. And I've got a little hand pump espresso uh, thing that's like, you know, sort of the size of a medium sized banana. Mm-hmm. And uh, it pulls like a little tiny little espresso shot. Uh, so you get a nice combination of the two. I feel uh, like eighty percent of your luggage for camping was coffee paraphernalia. 
and cooking, dude. Like, I I legit bought a bigger car so I can take more shit to make better coffee and cook better food. <laughs> like, because I go into the bush and they're the only creature comforts I really need in my life yeah. is, like, cold beer, warm coffee, and good food. And, you know, the rest is, is sort of easy. So, I mean, yeah. I think that's so cool because, like, when, you, when you're camping, I said it's like a camp. Uh, when, you, when you're camping, you, you don't have the distractions of life, so you can just like spend more time doing what you want to do. Dude, like that's when cooking. we, yeah, when we go camping, it ba- our days basically revolve around like we get up. I spend half an hour to forty minutes making coffee because it's not a quick <laughs> process, but it's an enjoyable process. And then we eat breakfast, and like maybe we go for a walk, and then we come back and we spend an hour cooking and eating lunch, and then we go for a little bit of a walk or do whatever, and then we come back and repeat the process for dinner. Like our whole day just revolves around relighting the fire and cooking food. It's yeah. great. I love uh, it. It's it's one thing I fell in love with the slow food movement when I was like a teenager, and yeah. Since you know, always had aspects of it in my life. The idea that uh, even if the food's just as good as if you did fast or bought it or whatever, uh, the risk or reward ratio is so much higher. It's like uh, you spend 40 minutes making a coffee, you got to get it right. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and it's the same with like, yeah, cooking barbecue. Like, yeah, oh, I've been cooking this brisket for, risk it. Yeah, for 48 hours and it's fucked. <laughs> Uh, yeah and I've definitely been there so no uh, next on my camping menu is going to be like a two day long curry uh, that like arrive on Friday start cooking it and eat it on Sunday and uh, yeah it's good I enjoy it but that's an aside that is not particularly related to the powerlifting theme that we have for this podcast yeah what are we talking about today in the in the realm of the things that we actually do for a living instead of the things that we just do for fun yeah um i thought we were gonna continue on with our discussion on squats where we kind of left off last week was uh was up a back and we were gonna start to talk about um start to talk about uh, some implications that come with upper back tightness in squats Mm -hmm. um i think uh it'll be good to then follow on from upper back in and open a discussion around like uh, different bar placements the effect on mechanics that has and uh, maybe some stuff about footwear as well um cool do you want me to just start talking about upper back because i can sure i i was relying somewhat on the fact that you can just start talking <laughs> i'll just sit here and kind of go mm-hmm, occasionally uh right. but no by all means start your spiel because i know you've got it there like wound up and ready to release exactly. so. Exactly yeah. like my fidget spinner with kinetic yeah. energy. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I said last time that uh, upper back tightness or upper, the upper back system as it pertains to squats is complicated because there's uh, six areas split up into or, or six factors to consider split up into three areas. And, and I kind of glossed over that really because we were at the end of the podcast and I had no interest in talking about it. <laughs> yep, um, so now that, now that I'm fresh, I'm happy to expand on that. So what I'm talking about in English um, area one is shoulder stability. So the two, two, uh, components of that are going to be internal and external rotation of the shoulder. Area two is uh, scapular placement or scapular stability. So we're talking about retraction, depression, uh, and anti-tilt preventing your scap from winging. Um, and area number three, which is the fifth component is going to be thoracic extension. Uh, so those, those six things need to work uniquely together to create the, the position uh, for, for the bar to sit on your back, regardless of whether you're high bar, low bar, both of, the, 
in, in both um, bar placements, these are important. And diminishment of one of those factors, any one of those factors, can uh, yield into some negative outcomes. Um, it makes it sound really complicated. Mm. If we reverse engineer this to understanding how we're going to tick the box with this for most people, the best way for people to wrap their heads around what you need to do with your back and your shoulders is not to talk through the, the in-depth mechanics of it all, but relate it to something where that all happens automatically. So we think about like what's what's an, uh, an exercise or a movement where you need to stabilize your shoulder, pull your scaps into you know retraction and depression, uh, prevent them from tilting and go into thoracic extension, things like a lat pull down. Like if you perform yep. a lat pull down uh, with, with uh, certain cues or naturally that's gonna happen Anyway, so a good way to wrap your head around what your shoulders should be doing when you're setting up for a uh, squat is grab the bar, squeeze it tight to stabilize your shoulders via your wrists so you don't lose torque, and then pull yourself into the bar like a lap pull down. Just hold that the whole time. Doesn't yeah. have to be complicated. Yeah, and that I think touches on the um, the ideas that we talked about in that episode on cueing not that long ago where your exercise selection outside of the lift itself can be really useful as long as you understand the context with with which in within which mm-hmm. that movement sits and the execution that you're aiming for through that mm-hmm. and so something like a lat pull down might not originally seem like it's an exercise that's really useful for teaching you squat mechanics but it potentially can be very useful if you understand how it fits into that overall system and then how to execute it in a way that makes that transfer valid mm-hmm. yeah so uh, one thing we need to open the door up then is this discussion on you know this um, neural arm pain that people get when they try to bench after they've been doing low bar squats because it's still so misunderstood and it's still so uh, poorly addressed. Like, it, but again, we don't need to overcomplicate this. This does come from uh, poor shoulder engagement, stability, whatever you want to call it, under a low bar squat. Mm-hmm. So the pathway to fixing it is not magic needles in your forearms and biceps. It's not magic exercises. It's not magic drugs to take the pain away. It's literally fixing the position of your shoulders when you squat. Which is, yeah. of course, sounds a lot easier than it actually is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but people are people often leave addressing that till it's too late. They're like, arm pain's kicking in. I need to do something about it. Like, you're way too late for this. Yeah. Like, you've already smashed your face through the glass, and now you're like, my face hurts. Just don't do it in the fucking first place. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty common theme across the entirety of training is, is people <laughs> addressing... Uh, pain and, and symptoms like that and treating the symptom and not mm. understanding the underlying cause and being able to troubleshoot out what it is in that process that is making things so much more painful or or painful at all. And um, I think that often stems from this quick fix approach to things. I just want to be able to get rid of the pain and keep doing what I'm doing without having to actually make any serious change to how you think about things, how you execute things, that that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a a lot of people will immediately uh, go down the road of something to do with rotation of the shoulder. Um, And the the actual degree of external rotation, uh, freedom of movement and control that you'd need to perform a low bar squat is way less than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your ability to get your hand back on the bar, of course, relies on your ability to externally rotate your shoulder, but it doesn't need to go that far. 
where people often go wrong is like the translocation of the shoulder in space. So yeah, sure, rotate your arm backwards and you can't reach the bar, but can you pull your shoulder? Can you retract your scapula back to the point where your hand can make it on the bar? And that's where most people uh, struggle. They, they miss the range through scapular retraction in order to get their hands back far enough to get on the bar. And if you can't do that, if you can't do either of those things, um, if you can't rotate enough to get back on the bar and then the internal rotation part comes into it because then you can't just rotate until your elbow's in front of the bar and your hand's behind it because you're going to experience a lot of pain doing that. Mm. You have to be able to internally rotate to get your elbows back so you can create a shelf. Um, I don't even know where I was going to keep going with that. I can't remember what I started saying. Um, uh, just treating rotation as the core component and... That was the sort of first port of call. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the ability to rotate to get onto the bar, is it, that's that's the easy part. Most people miss the fact that they can't retract their shoulders enough to reach the bar. And if you don't have either one of those ranges, uh, and, and, you know, thoracic extension is going to come into this too, uh, you, you're just going to shove yourself onto the bar. You're literally jamming yourself into position. You're not controlling any of that. And if you're not controlling it, you're not supporting the joint. If you're not supporting the joint, the sensitive, you know, functional controls of that joint are going to get beat up. They tighten up. You get neural impingement. You feel pain in your arms. We have to unwind that process. And the uh, the ultimate uh, fix for that is better movement. Yeah. It's a skill, right? Like any part of this... Uh, process there is a skill element to it and if you neglect one area of that skill in favor of just like you said shoving yourself under a bar squeezing everything really tight together and i think this is uh, again a very common misconception is that upper back tightness refers to just arbitrarily stuffing everything as close to your midline as you can get it mm-hmm. and then just like wedging yourself under the bar and oh like my wrists hurt cool just put wrist wraps on like oh my elbows hurt oh that's cool just like bench the day before you squat and you'll be mm-hmm. fine it's all these uh yeah just misconceptions about what these terms these like nebulous ideas that get thrown around in training uh like like they're going out of fashion because people like you and i can talk about them with a, an understanding of the context behind that kind of catch-all term mm. uh and yeah a lot of people misinterpret that and just end up too far down the other end of the rabbit hole uh, and then it takes a lot longer to unwind like you said if you leave it until the point where it's already painful yeah, um, what you're talking about is the difference between feeling tight and creating tightness. Yeah. And we can make you feel tight. Like lie on yeah. your back and I'll try and touch your foot to your head. You'll feel tight. Yeah. Uh, you're not creating that tightness, right? Jamming yourself yeah. under the bar feels tight. Doesn't yeah. mean you're creating tightness. Um, so you, you tend to see this issue with arm pain a lot more in males than females because females tend to be a little bit more flexible, tend to have a little bit more freedom of movement. Um, and if you lack the control, but you have the flexibility, you can afford automatic tightness just by jamming yourself in tight, which tends to be a little bit protective. Mm. Um, if you don't have that freedom of moving and you movement and you are literally forcing yourself to get into a, a position, that's where you get run into problems. Yeah. <clears throat> you also tend to see it in people who are using gear rather than natural lifters, even if those natural lifters are missing uh, some of that movement. Uh, just because people who are using gear tend to be able to then uh, put more load through the system and create yep. more issues because the load is exceeding their ability to stabilize. 
Yeah, yeah. You've just bumped one factor in the system right up and not accounted for everything needing to move up together in order to support it. For sure, for sure. It's 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 the big thing. Uh, the the easiest way to wrap your head around what gear does is general stability is your safety net as a as when you're not on gear uh, as a natural lifter or if uh, you're on gear and you come off gear whatever um the, your general instability is your safety net so you'll fail before you injure yourself because you're not strong enough to push past your instability yep. gear allows you to push past your instability when it yep. comes to the context of your upper back and squats gear allows you to load up more than your instability is going to afford you and you're just going to you know, mess yourself up yeah and that's a pretty common occurrence not just in bar position in the squats but in a range of areas in training yeah for sure i mean like you see more catastrophic injuries with people for sure gear than, than not on gear that's not to say that if you're not on gear that you're never going to get arm pain you're never going to experience catastrophic injury uh but in general yeah uh i think that's enough about shoulders and arm pain and that sort of stuff yeah yeah, I, th- I think so. I think we've unpacked that not just here, but also in previous episodes as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's good. Um, footwear. What do you think about footwear? What, what sort of stuff you do you uh, say about footwear to your lifters? Uh, from a powerlifting standpoint, I want whatever you feel most comfortable in. Uh, a lot of people come in in squat shoes because they've been like, oh, I like squatting, so I'll buy some squat shoes. That's the logical progression without an appreciation for what changes in the mechanics of your movement if you go from squatting in heels uh, squatting in flats to heels i think some people use equipment like that without the understanding of the context where it's appropriate and it becomes a bit of a crutch Mm -hmm. Uh, so if i've never seen you move before i often like to see you squat in heels and without the heels just to get an idea of what it's going to look like on both ends um, but ultimately from a powerlifting standpoint, whatever you feel most comfortable in, cause that's the thing that's going to allow you to lift the most amount of weight, uh, as long as you understand how it's being used and, and what you're using it for. Mm-hmm. I feel most comfortable in wheelies. I would be real fucking impressed to, to see you squat, <laughs> uh, single ply straps up, knee wraps, heelies. <laughs> heelies. Fuck Sk- that! It'd be good skating around, skate to the bar, skate away from the haters. Oh man, imagine how fucking cool you would look <laughs> walking out from under a successful squat and then just like sliding your way off the platform. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Exactly. How I, have I, we not done this before? I feel like our listenership is advanced enough to know that squatting in uh, in like runners is a bad idea, so we don't need to go in depth on that. No. Uh, when it when it comes to heeled shoes versus flat shoes, it's just about knowing and appreciating uh, what what's going on when you're using either of uh, either of the options. And, and exactly as John was saying, like the more uh, the more comfortable you are in your footwear in terms of like the way you perform the squat, probably the more weight you're going to lift. So at the end of the day, you can you can analyze the mechanics and you can analyze the the change in balance and everything until the cows come home, but. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be like, what are you going to pick for a competition? The style in which you lift more weight. Yeah. Um, when it comes to heel shoes, just imagine a stick figure side on. And when you're in flats, it's like your feet are flat, your body is straight up and down. If you elevate the heel, you tip that whole stick figure forward. So now the, the, the whole body, legs and arms and torso and everything is leaning forward. Uh, obviously, when you raise your heels, you're not standing like that. So you're shifting your balance back. The center of balance is traveling backwards. Uh, so 
by doing that, you're going to deviate more of the stability demand anteriorly. So you're going to deviate more stability demand towards your knees rather than your hips. And as such, it provides a good crutch if you have poor hip stability. That's why people who can't hit depth uh, read this as people who can't hit depth because of poor hip stability feel really good and feel like they can hit depth with heel shoes, even though theoretically you should have to travel harder and it sh- uh, travel more and make it harder to hit depth while you're wearing heels because yep. of that stability change, right? Um, so as long as you understand that, uh, you know, you can you can make uh, good decisions and, uh, you know, basic training around that. That's why uh, anterior loaded squats like front squats or high bar squats or goblet squats or whatever feel way better with your heels elevated because yep. you, you, you're balancing out that equation. Yeah, exactly. I um, The other thing I've seen uh, heels, a misconception about heeled shoes is like definitely linked to the hip stability thing but it's people who put on heeled shoes because they feel like they have tight ankles uh and they feel like that's the limiting factor and often that presents in people as oh well when i get to the bottom of my squat i feel like a pinching in my ankle or my heel comes off the floor Mm -hmm. and so the answer to this is just like wedge the heel up and that'll give you this position where you don't have that anymore and it like it feels like it makes the right change but i don't think again it actually addresses the bigger picture it just becomes a crutch for not understanding how to orientate your center of mass in space so that you can spread the pressure evenly through your feet and be able to control your hips through that range like i'm yet i think i've seen maybe one person in my entire coaching career who legitimately had a lack of ankle flexion that uh, like a, a structural lack of ankle flexion that prevented them from squatting to depth. Mm. It, almost everyone else, it's actually a manifestation of a lack of stability around the pelvis and a lack of control of center of mass in multiple planes of motion. Yeah, 100%. Like I've, I've coached well over a thousand people in the last eight years and exactly the same thing. I can think of three to four people who truly had ankle limitations where it was like, you need to wear heels. Yeah, um, you need to put heels on. Um, so yeah, I, that uh, that notion of all oh, my heels come up, therefore I'll I'll, I'll put a heel on. It, it's really backwards thinking. It's it's mm-hmm. not thinking why are my heels come up. It's it's the same as like oh my hips should up where I deadlift, so I'm just going to start with my hips in that position. But now you're thinking backwards. You need to think why are my hips? This would be the same logic as like my car pulls to the left, so I'm always going to drive in the middle of the road or on the wrong side of the road, so it, it balances it out. Yeah, that's a good way to fuck yourself up. Yeah, um, you're and, a, and a band aid solution. Yeah, you're actively avoiding the problem, um, and that's not to say that you're you're inept or whatever. It's just that maybe you don't understand. It should seek more clarification from people who understand. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know ultimately. And I mean, like this is the this is the uh, I guess the issue with the industry is that there are a lot of um, symptom based solutions rather than problem based mm. solutions. Well, selling symptom-based solutions is really easy. Mm. It's um, it's sexy and simple and people want a quick fix answer and that just doesn't have a long-term effect on the process mm-hmm. uh, without es- essentially putting you in a position to create more issues further down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have a f- very similar process to you in terms of assessment. When I get people to do a technique session with me, even if they're comfortable and confident in heeled shoes, I do I do sessions in 
uh, without them so we can expose any of those instabilities and make a true assessment of how much work this yep. instability needs and whether or not they should aim to fix that with the squat itself or if the squat itself will benefit by having the heel to crutch that stability for the meantime so we can work on it outside of the movement. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it becomes a no-brainer in some circumstances. It's like if you can't hit depth because of your poor hip stability uh, and you've got a comp in six weeks, don't try and fix your hip stability. Just squat and yeah. deal with it when you've got time to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's certainly a mistake I've made in the past was I went probably too far in the opposite direction. Like everyone should be able to squat in flats because you should just be able to learn how to squat in flats because it's predominantly just a skill. Mm -hmm. And those actual structural limitations don't exist in many, in most people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think more and, like, more and more over the years, I've come around to the idea of that context is important for... Like if you're general health and fitness, maybe being able to control things through that range of motion is useful. But for a powerlifter, it's it's ultimately about the weight on the bar, and so time frames definitely make a difference in your discussion around do we change a factor like footwear? Because if you've been squatting in heels two days a week for four or five years, switching to flats straight away is going to feel crazy. Mm. Uh, you're going to completely lose your perception of where you are in space. Loads that you're comfortable lifting will feel really odd and sketchy and you'll just put yourself in a position where you're going backwards for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And that is ultimately not a bad thing because it's part of the process of improving that. But timing that is important. I think it's important to add an asterisk to that as well because like, uh, the the inherent assumption there, and that's going to be pretty much what happens if you're listening and if you try that, you've always been heels and you go to flats. And pretty much what John said is what you will experience. Uh, but the inherent assumption is that you don't change anything about your yeah. squat simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and so if you're not making active efforts to work on stability through the hips via a series of cues and exercises and uh, you know pathways to do that, um, if you're not, you know, re reframing the way you think about performing the brace or setting your upper back in a in a in a stable fashion or, or whatever, um, if you're squatting exactly the same, and the only changing factor is the heels uh, or is the footwear. Um, yeah, it, it, it almost definitely is going to feel like shit. Yeah, uh, and, and it's, it's the nature with anything. It's like when people come to you and they're like. John, you know, um, I've, uh, this is how I bench. You're like, oh, let's try a little bit of wider grip. Ah, I've tried wider grip before and it really hurts my shoulders. Like, yeah, it hurt your shoulders because you're benching the way you're benching, like a, like a person that benches wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the nicest insult I've heard you come out with in a yeah, while. Yeah, because the alternative was going to be, yeah. Really um, quite rude. Yeah, yes. good. Uh, it's like if you can if you can then stabilize that joint then maybe the wider grip is going to actually feel really nice if you can stabilize through your torso then maybe the squat is going to feel really nice once you you know change the footwear yeah um, I, th yeah. I think that's probably a good uh, a good uh, segue to make unless you've got another point on, on what we we're just talking about no i don't Continue. i was going to say i would say the second most difficult thing to perform in powerlifting or in squat bench deadlift training uh, is maintaining your brace while you squat. The hardest thing being your shoulder position on bench. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a murky mire to go down. Um, it, it's, uh, it's because bracing is such a unique skill in itself. Bracing and then going through torso flexion extension is a more difficult skill. And then putting both of those aspects inside a more complex system like a squat is even more difficult again. 
mm-hmm. um, the nature of where the bar is sitting that is in like low bar on your back is going to and you know add the a general perception that chest up is a good position to have spoiler alert it's not um, chest up is a good position to have it, it really encourages people to break into a squat by arching yeah um, and, and uh, yeah I guess my question to you would be like how do you how do you work around this what sort of stuff are you doing to get on top of this and uh, yeah let's start the discussion uh, there. for the most part I I will address this based on the level of the person like if it's someone who's already quite an advanced lifter but has little minute parts of their system that need refining then generally it's a case of uh execute it with the movement perhaps at a lower intensity so we're we're actually doing low bar squatting with a slightly lower intensity with but with a very focused intent um for a less experienced lifter i like giving them less intense versions of the same movement that allow them to feel what i'm talking about and then be able to gradually transfer that across because ultimately i think it like anything it's a skill that just has to be practiced repetitively i don't think it's uh i don't think it's necessarily super complex to teach the fundamentals of i think it's complex to execute at a high intensity in amongst all the other things that you've got to be thinking about when you're squatting really heavy and so that's why i'm i sort of float between two ends of the spectrum based on the individual in front of me because i think they're the context that they bring to the the discussion is really important first and foremost mm-hmm. yeah for sure for sure um yeah one of the one of the difficult things with this with this area specifically um, is that people associate uh, core stability bracing and ab training or quote-unquote core training um, as being the same thing as each other yeah so they'll see a breakdown through the torso and a squat or a deadlift and be like core is weak therefore training core yeah um, you know i've got plenty of people who have super super strong abs uh abs in the sense that they can plank for two minutes with like 400 kilos on their back Obviously, you get what I'm saying. um but can't brace for shit when they're doing the squat it's like, yeah because it's a it's a task specific skill you mm-hmm. have to be able to do it in the environment that you're going to execute it in uh it doesn't always transfer one for one but that's where we go like the industry has this horribly simple uh, horribly reductionist simple, reductionist view of biomechanics where it's like arching your back therefore rectus abdominis is uh, not engaging or is weak or is whatever therefore train it more therefore it's fixed the problem it's like yeah. no your abs are a really important part of your brace your brace is a really important part of your squat How we need to take a step back and be like what is core stability in this context it's the ability to maintain a brace and a rigid torso while your torso is moving through a sagittal plane of flexion and extension while your torso is going forward and back yeah um, like the bird on the simpsons so how do we train that well squats and deadlifts are a great place to start but if you can't perform it in those movements we need to regress those movements what other movements can you maintain your torso stability or torso rigidity while you're going forward and back good mornings rdl stiff leg deadlifts deadlifts and squat variations slowing it down like you said like that's where you want to start with this stuff and the hard thing with core stability specific this is what makes it so different to you know hip and core uh, hip and shoulder stability is that that's pretty much where it starts and where it ends outside Mm. of that aspect of training it directly you're training it indirectly via the muscles uh, that that feed into what a brace is because you can't just train your brace you can't do three sets of 10 bracing that doesn't make any sense 
that's like the the integral part of core stability i'm doing it right now yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. i uh uh i really wanted a good vacuum when i was like heavily into uh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know arnold and bodybuilding and stuff like that and i remember i used to walk over the brisbane river on the way to uni over this goodwill bridge and every time i walked over the the bridge it was like i have to hold uh, a vacuum or a, an ab you know contraction the entire way and it fucked me up every time and i never got good at vacuums i'm really you upset some actually i don't feel this thing to this oh, oh yeah classic so shit. far we've so far we've got a mark zuckerberg shout out and an arnold shout out yeah i mean arnold, you're probably you're probably closer to arnold than you are zuckerberg to be honest arnold made me blend up six <laughs> eggs with the shells and drink it and crunch the shells like i'm I'm a hundred percent certain that because it's in the encyclopedia. I'm a hundred percent certain that that is pure trolling. That he just wanted to make idiots like me drink eggs with eggshells. Ugh, nothing like a crunchy egg milkshake. It was the worst. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> I don't mind raw egg. I just don't like fucking. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, God, I, sometimes I wish I could go back and meet dumb teenage Thomas. I reckon he'd just be funny to watch. He was a nightmare. I bet he was. <laughs> uh, on the topic of bracing, what is your then? So obviously, we've sort of established that it's a it's a skill that is applicable very much to the movements and the the types of movements that we're making variations of. So deadlift variations, squat variations. Do you then add in anything more direct from a core standpoint? Like where, where do you go for things like anti-rotation and, uh, and other stuff like that? Do you have a, a process for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my understanding is that when we wear a belt, um, everything works harder except your external obliques in terms of like the, the functionality of a brace. Yeah. Um, and so having some sort of external oblique um, work in a program makes a great deal of sense. Uh, understanding the external oblique sling through to the opposing adductor uh, or the adductor on the, the opposite side um, means that having some sort of adductor training for its role in pelvic stability is going to be really important. Easiest way to tick both of those boxes at the same time, coping hanging planks. But everyone yep. that I program for does coping hanging planks. In terms yep. of anti-rotation, I, I don't see a great deal of benefit for uh, you know static lifts. Um, for for uh, athletes, I think anti-rotation work and rotation work itself is is important. It's yep. actually super super important. Yeah. Um, so they'll do more rotation based stuff, but anti-rotation for powerlifters just doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I I think my approach is very very similar. Um, I think I would yeah essentially echo everything you said uh, on the. Uh, oblique sling thing I who did I see doing this row variation Paul O'Need on Instagram doing a like standing one arm dumbbell row uh, but you've got a dumbbell in your right hand and then with the left hand you're like reaching the shoulder into protraction with a band like hooked above a squat rack so think like a reverse band squat setup, like yeah. band hanging from a rack yeah. pushing that down and then uh, rowing through that plane Mm-hmm. That was fucking brutal. <laughs> Having to like hold the band. I'll send you a video so you can see what I'm talking yeah, no, about. Yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I yeah. haven't seen him doing it. I don't know who it is, to be honest. But, um, yeah. 
uh, yeah, I I tried that for the first time the other day and it was fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah, it sounds uh, Yeah, it was. But a, like a really a really interesting way to incorporate uh, elements of like pelvic control, mm-hmm. uh, scap control, and that sort of oblique sling through the anti rotation aspects of it. It was um yeah a very interesting and miserable exercise. I seem to have a per chance for finding exercises that go, oh, that looks like it'll be really miserable. I'm going to try that. And then I do it. I'm like, yeah, that was really miserable. So I start giving it to lots of people. (laughs) Everyone else, join me in my misery. All right. Well, I'm hitting pause on this. Yes, we're back. Uh, brief interlude. We should play some sort of funky music in there. But you should do a little... Oh, dude, why why have you not recorded us a great little piano jingle to go in our mid of the, middle of the show break that we never actually have? <laughs> that would be really cool. We should totally do that. Uh, anyway, we were talking about abs, uh, and I think we kind of covered everything we need to cover on that front. Uh, what do you, what are your sort of views on the assistance training realm when it comes to squats, just like straight hundred rep sets of leg press and nothing else or 100%. yeah, cool. Absolutely. Good. Um, my, my approach to assistance training across the board is, uh, is segregated or is defined by my understanding of the movements that the assistance uh, exercises are assisting. So, uh, in squats, I'm looking at it from a systematic fashion. So, uh, level one of squat assistance is can we modify the intensity of the squat uh, to focus on aspects of the individual system, uh, but keep it as close as possible. So, pause squats, tempo squats, um, that would be my go-tos. Mainly tempo stuff. Uh, very rarely do I program pause squats at, at the moment anymore. And if you're doing this yourself, you might lump in other exercises like pin squats into there. Um, bar variations like safety bar or candid bar or something like that. Um, from there, I'd, I'd look at um, taxing uh, parts of the system that are struggling or uh, that are you know um, uh, lagging behind for whatever individual. Uh, in general, it's going to be one of two areas. So one is going to be like that good morning RDL core upper back sort of area, and the other one's going to be hips. What are the hips doing? In which case, I'd be looking at things like leg press, hack squat, pendulum squat, any sort of squat machine where it takes away upper back and core stability out of the picture and then from there just going down uh into isolation sort of stuff yeah cool and look to be honest i have a very similar view of things as well um which is simple movement simple process yeah yeah and look at this point i'm not actually that surprised every time you give an answer and i just end up answering the same thing uh we have very similar views on a lot of things uh and i'd like to think most coaches would think the same in my experience in the coach development system most coaches do think the same because we're doing the same stuff yeah it's not uh it's not that complex in the scheme of things. Um, so how do you, what's your view on like single leg training? Are you were like, you should, if you can't squat on one leg, you shouldn't squat on two legs kind of a guy, or are you a uh, single leg trainees for wimps and we only ever do things bilaterally because I hop everywhere? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm certainly not a, if you can't squat on one leg, you can't squat on two. Um, I think uh, bilateral training is good at hiding instabilities and, uh, discrepancies between the system but having one leg weaker than the other or less stable than the other um, only becomes problematic when the rest of the issues in the system are ironed out Uh, Mm -hmm. so for example like you know dealing with hip shift or hip twist in a squat 
that's often because of you know a lack of stability at the pelvis or the lumbar spine or whatever so you're, you're allowing that instability to shine through like everyone is going to have discrepancies left to right i write with my right hand i do my magic with my left hand uh, that's a true story by the way you fucking um, nerd thanks <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, we, we all have these, you know, these favors to one side and it's not our goal to make them completely equal. However, uh, once you have ironed out errors in the system, if there are still instabilities uh, shining through, then absolutely they need to be addressed through single leg work. And that's not to say, um, you only do it if you need to, I would give people single leg stuff as a preventative measure. And it's just general movement, like lunges, split squats, all that kind of stuff that are taking you through greater ranges and different positions have not only benefits towards squat, but to upper lift as well. So um, I'm a big fan of single leg work, but I'm certainly not uh, drilling it in as hard as some people do. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, I have very <laughs> similar views. Uh, I, I think it definitely has a lot of value, especially early on. I reckon I probably spent too long in my lifting careers just ignoring it completely and mm-hmm. squatting on two legs and because I just didn't like doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. and I definitely reckon I am paying for that in terms of my pelvic control ability at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm like now addressing that in my own training with a lot more sort of single leg stuff. Um, because I know I can hide a lot of it bilaterally Yeah. because I'm, I'm good enough at the skill of squatting that I can really hide it. Uh, so yeah, having said that, though, I'm also not training for a powerlifting comp, so I can spend a lot more time devoted to that without feeling like I'm I'm wasting training time because mm-hmm. I'm not actually pushing the goal up. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think it, it certainly has value in terms of uh, like times of the year and stuff like that. There are times where giving you your hips a bit of a break from the monotonous beating that they take through tons of squat like bilateral squatting and deadlifting and stuff like that is very very useful from a restorative standpoint like you said almost a preventative standpoint Mm -hmm. your hips if your hips feel better day to day and you can move a little bit better as you walk around because you've spent a bit of time training in the way that you are designed to walk with one foot in front of the other then you can i think be able to have a bigger base and be able to push harder when it comes to going back to the mechanically stable two feet in the same plane mm-hmm. uh, position that you have with a squat or a deadlift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the big warning for you to take for the single leg work as in you, the listener, um, is don't buy into the notion that just because now you're doing something on one leg that you're building stability for the squat. Mm. Um, you know, we, we look at something like a, a split squat. Does it require more stability than a two-legged squat? Yes. That stability is specific to the task that you're doing. Just because you get better at stabilizing on one leg doesn't automatically mean that it'll carry over to your squat. I think that's where people go wrong is that they use the buzzword stability for anything that's more difficult because it's less stable. Um, There is an element of truth to that. That's not to say that getting more stable in a single leg uh, uh, whatever is not going to carry over because it may to some degree. Just don't, don't buy into the illusion that just because now that you can do uh, backflips on one leg and pistol squats and hip airplanes that now all of a sudden your bilateral squat is going to be better because you need to put that stability then into the skill uh, which is a, a different kettle of fish so to speak yeah the way i think about uh that sort of idea 
is to look at the the single egg stuff as improving your access to options Mm -hmm. and the improving uh, like having more options means that when you go back to executing the skill you can then be in a position to choose the most efficient option and and sort of re-pattern that which then ultimately is the thing that carries over but like you said it's it's task specific skill you have to be able to do it in the area that you're trying to improve not just in some nebulous concept mm-hmm. for sure for sure i, I think we've cover heaps when it comes to yeah. skills. I mean, like, obviously we can't go super in-depth onto every single concept and, like, something as complex as a squat or a bench or a deadlift uh, requires a lot of time and attention on each area, but hopefully you've got a broad overview of kind of what we think and have uh, gathered some uh, tangible takeaways that you can apply to your training. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. I mean, we could talk about, like, equipment and stuff, but we've, we've definitely touched on, like, wraps and belts and those sort of things in the past. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a, a good place to leave it. Yeah, I think we did a, a, like a two two part series on balancing equipment. So if you wanna wanna hear more about sleeves and wraps, go back and and find that. I'd find it for you, but it's uh, a great deal. Of <laughs> and on that note, folks, please tell your friends. Hey, so I was listening to a Jordan Chalo podcast this morning, RX Radio, uh, while riding my bike up a hill with quad doms, which sucked. Uh, Active recovery, bro. Uh, it was miserable uh the downhill bit was fun though yeah he was saying that he has got some intel from some people who know more about the podcast space than he does and that actually the comments and uh reviews don't play as much of a role as people actually just going on to the podcast app and downloading the podcast regularly apparently there are some people perhaps in the fitness industry and perhaps outside of the fitness industry who are paying click farms in like Bangladesh, you know, a hundred bucks a month to just have like a thousand iCloud accounts that they go through and download every episode of the podcast in to bump them up the ratings. Cause that's how you sort of game the, uh, game the system, so to speak. So if you could all steal your family's iCloud accounts or phones and go to your favorite podcast app and download every episode of Peak Speak since day one, Absolutely. that would be great. Man, better than that, just... Tom's just doing it right now. Shout out some quick farms. <laughs> no, I'm actually looking for the equipment. So. Did I ever tell you about the time I bought my friend 5,000 Instagram followers for yes. Christmas? Fuck, <laughs> that was funny. That was such a good time. Best prank ever. Uh, anyway, download all our episodes. You don't have to listen to them. We don't care that much. Just download them because we're all about just ratings and nothing else. I re- yeah. My uh, podcast app skips like 30 episodes. I don't know. That's really. annoying. Where the It'll be between <laughs> episode 36 and 59. <laughs> There's your window. So we've we've narrowed narrowed it down to a twenty five episode window that you have to go and look at. Great, we are such helpful people. I'm so glad that we do this yeah. regularly. So please give us a maybe two stars based on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like one to two, we'd be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. it's fair. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs>